Hey, Life Canton. Roger here. So glad that you're joining us, whether you're a first-time listener or returning. Um, either way, I want to encourage you to get involved in this community because we believe that you belong. That you have a place here because you belong in God's family, so you belong with us. So fill out a Connect card uh, to get connected. Uh, you can do that on our Life Church Center app or on our website. Uh, you can also participate by giving, giving generously to what God is up to at this church and the ways that he is moving. You're actually going to hear some of those ways today in the service. But feel free to head over to, again, the Life Church can website or the Church Center app to do that. Today we are hearing a message in our revival series from Pastor John Grandy, who's our discipleship pastor. He's going to talk a lot about students. So uh, I'm the student director, and I'm pretty excited about this message. So give it a listen, and I'll catch up with you in just a minute. He won't fail, amen? Amen. It's a joy to be able to come here as a family to worship him and remind ourselves how faithful he is, how secure we are in his presence. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you're new here, I am our director of The Life Journey. And I get to help lead our experience of training disciples to make disciples through courses, through community, through helping people discover their calling. And right now, as we gather, there are people all around the building um, being trained for discipleship. And that starts at birth because our life kids are laser focused on discipleship as well. And they're training our kids to carry out the Great Commission with their friends, with their generation. And I just love it. We are consumed by discipleship because this is the Great Commission that Christ gave us, and we're living into it together. Today, we're continuing our series on revival, and part one was about. Um, fasting and prayers, we took the month of January to pull back on something, whether it was food or social media, to give up something, to gain something more in God's presence, and then also to pray, to gather on Sunday nights and pray together, to worship together as a family. How many of you came on Sunday nights? Was that powerful? Amen. Yeah. So it was, it was a great start to the series, and then part two is about worship. And that's what we're continuing today as we gather in God's presence. What happens as we praise God, as we worship him together? It's powerful. And it's interesting how this series, Revival, lines up with, as Jared mentioned last week, the revival that's happening in Asbury University at Wilmore, Kentucky. This little sleepy town and uh, how the Holy Spirit is awakening people at that location. And as I was reading the firsthand reports of what God is doing, I couldn't help but be moved. And and the stories of this holy, humble, transformative moment in our our history, in in this university where the Holy Spirit was sparking this fire of revival. And I said, we have to go. So I texted France and I said, do you want to go? Noah and I are going to make a trip down, my my 11-year-old son. You want to come with us? We're like, let's do it. So uh, Sunday after church last week, we drove down to Wilmore, Kentucky, and experienced what God was doing um, with our own eyes. And this revival started on February 8th from a simple chapel service at the university where a couple students came forward and repented of their sins and felt convicted by God. And they started worshiping, and the worship didn't stop. It went on that entire day, that night, nonstop, for 16 days straight. And it drew people from all around the world to come and experience God for themselves. I'll share with you in a moment what this was like, but it was just simply encountering the Holy Spirit together. And you'll see pictures of the chapel that's at capacity, Hughes Auditorium, the epicenter of this revival. 
And the thing that moved me the most was it was so clear that this revival is laser-focused on mobilizing and training up leaders in Generation Z. Now, what is Gen Z, you may ask? Here's a couple stats so we can get to know them because we're going to start hearing more from them and letting them step up and lead us as we move forward. They were born between 1997 and 2012, high school and college-age students. They're the first digital natives, which means from the moment they were born, they were connected, whether that was social media or cell phones or TikTok or anything on social media, that they were constantly connected all of their lives, the first generation that's like that. They are ethnically diverse. They value diversity and see it as an asset. In fact, they're the last generation that will be predominantly white. So the next generation, there will not be a predominantly white makeup of that generation. So that there's the seeds inside of them to say, we need to value and honor our diversity. This is an asset for us. This should not be something that divides us, but unites us. And lastly, they are socially isolated. The constant digital connection has led to widespread social isolation, anxiety, and depression. In fact, the COVID pandemic only added to this. I think that this generation was the most impacted because they had to go to school online and they spent hours alone in their room on on Zoom and just trying to figure out how to do life on their own, disconnected from their friends in such a huge period of their lives where they need their friends. They need that connection. They need um, to be with people. Some even refer to them as the loneliest generation. So isn't it obvious that this lonely generation needs to encounter God, that they are hungry for God. They are hungry for a personal, transformative, emotional experience with God, and that's exactly what is happening at Asbury University. It was so impactful that we felt like we needed to capture what was happening on campus in front of Hughes Auditorium. We recorded a video for you to show you. Check this out. Hey family, we just got out of the Hughes Auditorium and just had an encounter with God. All I can say is that it's nothing spectacular. It's the Spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead that lives inside of each one of us. And we got to encounter Him together in a place where there's a super concentration of His presence right now. And that's nothing special about this place. It's just about us being filled up to have a pilgrimage with God, to encounter God, so that we can bring the Spirit of God everywhere that we go and share Him with everyone that we encounter. This is a a mobilization of Generation Z. This is an opportunity to raise them up to be leaders. And every generation needs a fresh encounter with God. Not just to say... With my own eyes and with my own heart, with my emotions, I've felt him. I've been changed by him. And that is what is happening here. We are seeing students lead this movement in every single way. Young people, college students, high school students who are leading the way. And it's time for students for you to step up and lead us. And we welcome that. We say yes to your leadership. And we want to equip you. And we are cheering for you. We are in your corner every single step of the way. And that is what God is speaking through this revival, is to awaken a generation to step up and lead and watch what he does through you. We're with you. The church has heard you. 
and we've got your back. And we cannot wait to see what God does through you and through every generation as we are influenced by what God is doing through this. May Jesus ignite his church through this movement. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I loved how you can see the students just streaming down the stairs from the auditorium after they had just encountered God. And like I said, it was, it was nothing spectacular. It was not a spectacle. It was just a moment to encounter God, to be filled up with his presence, to go out and spread the Holy Spirit wherever we went with us. We waited in line for five hours in a line that stretched at least a mile long to get into this building. There was a separate line just for Gen Z that had priority. They got to go in first before the rest of us did. And again, I love that, to see how they are prioritizing what God is doing in that generation. We led up to the balcony where I watched as this sea of people were lifting their hands and surrender to God, worshiping with all of their emotions, the tears streaming down their face. And I watched as people were broken, but broken in the best way as they were encountering their creator. It was powerful. See, part of this stirs my heart because I have a passion for young people. I got my bachelor's degree in youth ministry at Spring Arbor University and was a youth pastor for 10 years, believing that if we can raise up the next generation to follow Christ, then they will take what our faith that we've invested into them and carry it on so that that chain of faith will not be broken, but carried on to the next generation so that they can experience God as well. And I think part of where this came from is from my parents, because in the 1970s, when revival broke out then, they encountered God. They gave their lives to Christ, and it radically transformed the direction of my family. See, because they led this movement, they trained people on how to encounter the Holy Spirit, and then they trained my, myself and my five sisters how to experience God, how to walk with Him. And it's something that I really kind of put the dots together, because I didn't, you know, you grow up in it, you don't always, you take it for granted sometimes. But they showed me how to walk with God. And so when I saw this happening, and I have an 11-year-old son named Noah, and I said, I'm not going unless he comes with us, because I want him to experience this with his own eyes, so that he can carry on that legacy of revival, that legacy of walking with God, and hand it on to the next generation beyond him. Friends, this isn't just something we want to talk about. It's something we want to practice, to act on. So I asked Jelly Johnson to read our scripture for us today. Will you give it up for her as she comes? Awesome. So Jelly, I love what God is doing in your life. Jelly went through the life journey with her mom and her family as they went through the training to become like Jesus. And uh, through our life journey courses, I remember your mom saying you asked all kinds of questions and were just hungry to learn. And I loved hearing about that because I see in you a fire and a passion to know Jesus and to walk with him for the rest of your life. And that was my passion when I was 12 years old and gave my life to Christ I wanted to give the best years of my life to him. And I see that same desire in you. And all of us want to support you in that journey. Sound good? Do you agree? All right. So, Jelly, will you read for us? Absolutely. Praise the Lord, all you nations. Praise him, all you people of the earth. For his unfailing love for us is powerful. The Lord's faithfulness endures forever. Praise the Lord. Amen. Give it up for the word of God. God. So that's the whole psalm, two verses. It's the shortest psalm in the Bible. And they're like, yeah, Jared gave me that one because he knew I'd preach too long if he gave me any more than that. And it's true. I probably would. So I'm good with it because there's a lot packed into here that I'm excited to unpack together. 
Earlier in the series, Pastor Nathan defined worship as a display of fervent passion. Not a robotic, God, I love you, I'm glad to serve you, but a passionate, fully immersed, emotional, even angry, even sad, even heartbroken worship before him. To bring all of yourself to him. Why? Because worship is a moment when heaven touches earth. See, scholars believe that heaven is not this place in the sky that's high above us, but more so an overlapping reality. And when we worship, when we encounter God's presence, it's like those heaven and earth overlap, and we get to experience a taste of heaven, a taste of God's presence, of what we will experience for all eternity. And how can this not get us excited? How can this not fill us up with life and with joy and freedom and even comfort in our brokenness and our heartbreak? That's what happens during worship. Friends, that's what I felt on our final worship night in January. How many of you encountered God at that worship night? It was powerful, wasn't it? And many of us, as I talked with people, like, I don't even have words. It just felt speechless to encounter God and what he did there. As we were worshiping together, and I think the power of it was just that we, we dropped our agenda and we just worshiped. We got lost in time and just lost in God's presence and allowed our hearts to come forth and give him everything that we were experiencing. And you could feel the, the peace and the presence of the Holy Spirit in the room. And as we were worshiping, I walked to the back and I was just praying for us and thanking God for what he was doing. And as I was doing that, I felt like he spoke to me pretty clearly and he said, I am forming this church to be a tribe of the Lion of Judah. Amen? A tribe of the Lion of Judah. Now, what does that mean? I asked the same question. I'm like, that feels cool, but I don't really know what that means for us, you know, for us individually. And I felt like it started to come together when I read Psalm 117, verse 1. Again, it says, praise the Lord, all you nations. Praise him, all you peoples of the earth. This is a picture of the global family of God. It's a mosaic, a tapestry that profoundly displays the vibrant colors of each thread and the breathtaking beauty of how all the colors dance together as a united whole. Friends, this isn't just a picture of the global church. It's a picture of our church, of Life Canton. You don't even have to look beyond the four walls of our church to see the nations of the earth that are represented here in our tribe and our family. And I'm so proud of that. In fact, I want to celebrate some of our home countries together. If you hear yours or you, you've been there or you're passionate about these countries, I want you to, to yell out. I'm not going to be able to cover them all, but I'm going to cover some. And I want to celebrate. I want to give you a picture of just how diverse and beautiful God has, is forming this tribe to be. Okay? So these are some of the home countries that are represented right within our own four walls. India, Nigeria, Philippines. Panama, Germany, Jamaica, Peru, Spain, Haiti, Puerto Rico, Mexico, yeah, Kenya, and the list goes on. I'm just curious, do I have anyone here from the United States of America? <laughs> All right. So again, we've only just scratched the surface. We can keep going. But, but these are home countries that are represented. These are our place that we celebrate and we bring our culture, we bring our passion, we bring our personality together and allow it to be celebrated within our church. See, Christ calls every tribe, tongue, and nation to worship him. 
In this church, this family, this tribe of the Lion of Judah is made in the image of God. We reflect his character in our diversity, in our families of origin, in our skin color, in our culture and ethnicity. We reflect the image of God. This diversity gives personality, passion, and beautiful complexity to our worship. And friends, I saw this at the revival. I, there was a, a group of uh, Hispanic young people in front of us who broke out in worship in Spanish. And it was so beautiful that to, I didn't know what they were saying, but for them to worship God and to feel the presence of God coming from their worship. People of all tribes, nations, and tongues at this place. And it was a picture of the kingdom. It was a picture of our church. But I have a question for you. Does diversity typically unite or divide people? I think we've seen enough of our own history in America to know that it divides us, unfortunately. Tribes divide. In the Old Testament, people didn't associate with others who were different from them. In fact, Jews didn't associate with Gentiles or with Samaritans. They stayed away from them. Even the tribes of Israel had their own people, their own cultures, their own way of life. They were united by their faith, but they were also divided. Tribes can lead to tribalism. If you don't fit in my circle of trust, then you don't belong, or I don't feel comfortable with you. And so we intentionally or even unintentionally sometimes exclude other people and make them feel like an other. Have you ever felt like an other before? It doesn't feel good, does it? Makes you feel isolated and lonely and unseen, unheard, and unloved. Life Canton, I have a warning for us. See, we have 30% of our partners are people of color. And that is something we need to celebrate. That's incredible. But here's the truth. If we don't capture Christ's vision for diversity, tribalism will erupt at our church. Do you want that to happen? No, neither do I. Because you belong. That is our code. That is who we are. That is our DNA and our heartbeat as a church. That whoever you are, wherever you're from, whatever your story is, you belong. And you have a place here. There is no othering in the tribe of praise. Amen? Amen. Amen. Psalm 117.1 says, Praise the Lord, all you nations. Praise Him, all you people of the earth. See, this verse calls us to redefine a tribe, not as exclusive, but as inclusive. All nations and all people of the earth are invited to belong in this tribe. We are all one in Christ Jesus as a family that is made up and becomes even more beautiful by our differences. They should unite us, not divide us. See, this tribe of the Lion of Judah is a perfect name for us. You want to know why? Do you know what Judah means? To praise. Judah means to praise. And so we could say that we are a tribe of the lion of praise. We are a tribe of praise to our God. Is that how you want to be known? Amen. A tribe of praise that gives glory to God everywhere we go and with everything we do in every season. See, this, this word specifically is personal for me because in November, my wife lost a son at 20 weeks, and we named him Judah. And God gave her that name months before we were, he was even conceived because we wanted to praise him. We wanted to praise him in our family, in our story, in every season. And we still praise him, even though we lost our son. 
We praise him in our suffering. And that's what's so powerful about this praise. It's not situational. It's not only when things are good. It's in every season. We praise him because of who he is. So what does this praise look like? It looks like students who left the line in front of Asbury, the student priority line, and went to the center of the lawn to start to worship. They brought their cajon, this little box of a drum, a tambourine, and a guitar, acoustic guitar, and they started worshiping. And I heard one of them say, let's worship with all of our hearts. We don't have to wait till we get in the auditorium. And it's a good thing they did because they were there six hours later still worshiping. The same group of people had only grown. And by the time we got out of the auditorium, they were still there worshiping. So these students led a revival in front of the revival. <laughs> that little pocket of revival on this lawn that was spreading. And, and they got to take that with them when they left wherever they came from. Friends, this is what praise looks like. We come oftentimes into worship, into God's presence, exhausted, broken, bitter, resentful, tired, bone dry like the sponge. If you ever use the sponge, let it dry, and it's hard as a rock, right? Hear that? <laughs> it's, it's dry, it's brittle, it's, it's been through some stuff, it's tired, it's worn out. And a lot of times we come to worship and we kind of dip our toes into worship. That's enough, right? That's enough. We got, we're halfway full with God's presence. He's got this living water ready for us to experience, but we're just going to dip our toes in. Is that what you want to do? No. Right? We dive in to the living water. We experience his presence and let him fill us up. We bring all of our emotions to him, raw and real. We, he can take it. He can take our anger, our sadness, our brokenness, our frustration, our joy, our happiness, our celebration. We bring it all to him and dive into the living water so that our tanks can be full with his presence. This is what our worship looks like. This is what it means to be a tribe of praise. To soak in worship. To allow God to do whatever he wants to and to make room for that. To forget about what time it is. To let our anxieties just melt away as we bring them to him and say, God, would you fill me with your peace instead of this crippling anxiety? Would you fill me with your joy, with your love? Would you help me to care more about what you think about my worship than anyone else around me? Because I'm here for you and my heart is focused on you. And we just soak in his presence and let him fill us, filled with living water. So that when we face another week, we can face it head on and say, bring it on. My tank is full. I'm ready to go after this week because I'm filled with the presence of God. What's holding you back from worshiping God like this? Is it caring more about the person next to you and what they think about your worship than God? Is it being afraid that you'll look like a madman or a madwoman if you really worship with abandon? What is it? What's holding you back? It's time to let those barriers fall away. If we're going to become a tribe of praise, then we need to learn to worship like this. Church, Jesus is forming us into a tribe of praise, a tribe of the Lion of Judah. We've talked about redefining what tribe is, not based on our separation, but on our unity, our diversity that brings unity because of the Lamb. We've talked about our praise 
to praise with passion, to praise with our emotion. Now let's talk about the lion of this tribe who wants to teach us to love like he does. Psalm 117 verse 2 says, For his unfailing love for us is powerful. The Lord's faithfulness endures forever. Praise the Lord. We see his unfailing love for us, and it is powerful. The original word here means kindness, mercy, goodness. So this isn't just a strong power, it's a tender power. It's a power that meets us in our pain and comforts us. It's unfailing. It will never leave us no matter what season we're in. And we see his enduring faithfulness. It lasts through every season. It's reliable, secure, stable, and true. God's love is both powerful and faithful in our lives. And the image the New Testament gives us of this love is Jesus, the lion and the lamb. In Revelation chapter 5, Jesus is described as both the lion of the tribe of Judah and the lamb that was slain. It's kind of a weird image, isn't it? How can you be both a lion and a lamb? I mean, lamb, lions are strong, lambs are weak. Lions are leaders, lambs are followers. I mean, don't lions eat lambs? How, do, how does this make sense? Jesus shows us how to love like a lion and a lamb. Let's read in Revelation 5, 6, and 9 where the Apostle John, one of Jesus' 12 disciples, sees a vision of this lion and lamb. It says, stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. For you were slaughtered, and your blood has ransomed people from, for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. The heir of David's throne has won the victory. Amen? As Dr. Tony Evans says, we aren't fighting for victory, we're fighting from victory. The victory is yours. You are more than a conqueror. You live out that victory, so when the enemy comes after you and tempts you or distracts you or takes you off the path, you remind him that you have victory and you say, not today, Satan. I have overcome you by the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony. We fight from victory with love like a lion. Jesus shows us how to love like a lion. He gives us victory. He confidently pursues us with passionate love. He always goes before us to prepare the way for our steps so that when we face something, we know he's already been there. He's already paved the way for us. He's, he roars to keep us on the path when we've wandered off, to get our attention, to bring us back on the path of God's will. How many of you know we need some tough love from time to time? And his lion roar of love calls us back into the will of God. See, he loves us like a lion, but he also loves like a lamb. Revelation 5.9 tells us, His blood has ransomed people from every tribe and language and people and nation. Jesus' sacrificial life and love paid the ransom for our sins so we could be free. You know, when someone is kidnapped, oftentimes there's a ransom that must be paid to get freedom. We've been kidnapped by the enemy. We've been kidnapped by our sin and our brokenness and our wounding. And Jesus pursues us and pays the ransom for our brokenness to free us, to bring us back into his family, back into relationship with him. And that's powerful. Jesus' sacrificial love unites people. His blood unites people from every tribe, every language, and every nation. 
and his heart is filled with sacrificial love. In fact, this sacrificial love is the greatest form of love. The greatest form of love is sacrifice. Listen to these scriptures. They won't be on the screen, but hear them. John 15, 12 through 13, Jesus says, This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. The greatest form of love is sacrifice. And then 1 John 3, 16, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. Jesus invites us to love like the lion and the lamb, to love each other in the family of God like the lion and the lamb. He's calling us to love each other as he loves us. So how do we do that? We can't just keep our worship for ourselves, right? We, we get super saturated in his presence in worship. And then he calls us to bring his presence, to leave the revival, to leave church, to leave your time with God and go and bring his presence everywhere you go and go and make puddles as you bear the torch of Christ's justice and love at work, at home, with your kids, with your friends, wherever you go to bear the torch, to leave a puddle of his presence there as you, as you honor him, as you represent him. Next week, we're starting a series called The Cross Equals Love, where we're proclaiming the love of the lion and the lamb, this unconditional love that loved us so much he went to the cross. So when you invite a friend to come to Cross Equals Love, you share a puddle of God's presence with them. Right there in that moment as you bring the truth to them and then invite them to come and be a part of this tribe of praise where they can belong as well and experience that for the first time. As we have a meal together after this service at the family meal, we get to be a puddle of God's presence together. We get to share connection and intimacy and stories. We get to share about how these meals came to be in our home and how our parents would make them for us and the memories that are associated with them. For some of you, you don't have a family. Maybe you're estranged from them or maybe you're cut off from them, whatever it is. This church wants to be your family. We want to be a puddle of God's presence for you to experience what family looks like and feels like. He's calling us to make puddles of his presence everywhere we go. See, last week, Pastor Jared gave us some questions that we can discuss at the table as we eat together. Because we want this to be fun, we want it to be joyful, but we want it to go below the surface so that we can truly connect together. And so here's a question that we can discuss at the table. What is a problem that you see right here in our community that is distorting the image of God in others? What is breaking the image of God? What is preventing us from seeing that image of God in other people right here in our community? And, and what are we going to do about it? How can we meet that need? Discuss that at your tables. Let that be an icebreaker. Go below the surface so that we can connect. I want to share one more story from the revival as we, as we close here. As I share the story... We, as I said earlier, don't want to just talk about mobilizing Gen Z. We want to act on it. And so in just a moment, students from ages 12 through 25, we want to invite you to come to the altar and we're going to pray for you. We're going to commission you. We're going to pour God's presence into you and make puddles in your life so that you can carry them on to others. So students, as I share the story, go ahead and come forward and meet here in the center. 
Give it up for them as they come. All right. And if you're in the balcony, high school, college, middle school students, you can come down as well and join them. So come on down. And as you come, I want to share a story with you. There was this girl, we'll we'll say her name was Emily. I don't know her name, but we'll say it was Emily, okay? During the revival, they were sharing student testimonies, and she came up to the front, and she shared about how she was struggled and crippled with anxiety, depression, and suicidal thoughts. In fact, she got to the point where she wrote suicide letters to her family, to each member of her family. And in tears, she was telling the story, and you could see the heartbreak in her eyes. And she said, by the grace of God, a friend invited her to youth group before she could go forward with her plans. And at that youth group, she had a radical personal encounter with Jesus. She was filled with hope and life and joy in God's presence. And she was there in front of us to tell the story of how God rescued her. And the attendant who was with her took the mic and said, we have heard countless stories of students who are struggling with anxiety, depression, and suicide. If that is you, stand up. And we saw one, two, 25, 50, 75 students stand up throughout this whole auditorium, just broken, broken by their struggle, broken and longing for life, for hope, for joy. And then the attendant handed the mic back to Emily and said, pray for them. And so we got to watch this student who had just been freed from her own struggle pray and bring freedom to her friends. I share that story with you because you can be Emily for your generation, okay? You can carry the torch of Christ's justice and love into the lives of your friends, into the lives of everyone that you come across. And we wanna pray for you so that that can happen. So church, come forward if you'd like to join me in praying for them. This is our moment to mobilize Gen Z in our church and we're just getting started. So it's our joy to pray for them together. Let's do it as you come forward. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that message. I hope you enjoyed uh, discussion about what God is doing, not only in our youth, but in the youth across the nation and some of the ways that uh, we get excited about seeing our young people be poured into by God and prayed over it and all of those things. Um, if you want to participate in that, uh, like I said, you can give. You can also uh, fill out a connect card to get connected. Or if you have any questions about how to serve uh, with our young people, whether on a Sunday or during our Wednesday night programming, uh, feel free to reach out to me personally, and I can answer some of those questions. But um, I'm just so glad to, to see them celebrated and uplifted in our community because they're important. Uh, and God is doing a lot with them and among them. So I uh, hope you enjoyed the message. Hope you have a blessed week. If you need prayer for anything, let us know. Reach out. Uh, again, the Connect card is the easiest way to do that. But let us know what you need prayed for or uh, if you just need uh, to be connected to. So fill one of those out. Um, but I hope you have a blessed week and we'll see you again real soon.